For the past several weeks, we've been looking at a topic that has affected many people, a type of busyness uh, that seems to lead to exhaustion, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, We saw in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus said, Come, all you that labor, and I will give you rest. In Isaiah chapter 40, we're reminded to wait on the Lord for renewed strength. And we talked about the idea of waiting is not inactivity. It's not sitting around doing nothing. It is walking and marching towards God in obedience as we are uh, waiting with an expectation of how he will direct our steps and and so forth. And as we do that, he'll give us the strength that we need. Uh, Then we remind Isaiah 26 that we are shown how we can have a perfect peace if we keep our minds on God. And as we come in today's passage, we'll once again be reminded of a principle in God's word that if applied could alleviate a lot of stress and anxiety in our lives. And uh, I want to give all of us a word of caution as we look at today's passage. Uh, is it, uh, it too is a very familiar passage. Uh, the problem with very familiar passages, as we've been talking about these last several weeks, Matthew 11 is very familiar. We've all heard those verses a million times. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. I mean, you can go into bookstores all over America and find posters and pictures and plaques and so forth that have these verses. And and of course, in Isaiah 26, I've seen it on all kinds of different pictures once again. But the problem with very familiar passages is this. As soon as we hear the passage, we kind of think, well, I've heard that one before. I know what he's going to say. And we just kind of just kind of go in coast mode. Please, please, please don't go in coast mode. Don't just gloss over it. Because I really do believe that this is a principle that if we apply it, really will help us alleviate a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety in our lives. Uh, so I want to begin reading in Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 25. And uh, I will say in advance, too, as we go through in the service this morning, yeah, it's hard to turn pages, too, with a Band-Aid. It just doesn't want to work. It slides. So just be patient with me. Maybe some of you say, finally, he's going to slow down a little bit. But at any rate, uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 25. It says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we ask God, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our lives, and we ask God that you would just speak to our hearts And Lord, as we've been talking about these last several weeks, Lord, of running on empty and being tired and exhausted, physically, mentally, spiritually, God, I pray that you'd help us to be, Lord, not only contemplative of 
if some things that need to change in our lives, Lord, but whether or not we're willing to actually do the hard work and change these things, change our priorities, change our perspective, change our focus. God, I pray that you'd help us to remove the distractions, Lord, that would keep us from being strong in you, Lord. Pray that you would speak to our hearts now through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and I really do want to key on verse 33 in a few moments, uh, but I want to give you a few bullet points as we get started. And the first one is this, do not worry about your life. Sounds pretty simple, right? Just don't worry. Just don't worry. Be happy. I mean, just, just don't worry about it, right? It just seems to, you don't have to think twice about it. Just, just don't do it. Um, we were at a pastor's gathering uh, over at the FLBA office a few weeks ago, and uh, one of the guys brought up the idea of one of the old Bob Newhart episodes, and uh, where he says, stop it! Anybody ever seen that one? YouTube it. It's hilarious. If you're struggling, stop it. If you're worried about something, just stop it. You know, and the whole idea is just stop it. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about it anymore. God's got this. But isn't it easier said than done at times? We just kind of worry about everything. And people sometimes worry about worry itself. And uh, we just kind of worry about what might happen or what should happen or what could happen or what did happen. And just worry, 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 worry. He gives us a couple bullet points underneath this. He says, do not worry about you, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. I'm just telling you, and I speak from experience in my own personal testimony, we all can go a day or two without eating, right? I mean, that's just a given, right? We got that covered. But he says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. I can remember during a time in my life that uh, when we first graduated from Bible college, we are sitting in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, and uh, as I said before, we were double income, no kids. I mean, we were making, we were raking it in. Don, $8,000 a year, me, $9,000 a year. Working at a Christian school, 75 hours a week. I mean, we were loading. I mean, it was just awesome. That was the hardest couple years of my life. I loved what I was doing. I hated the circumstances. And I don't know about you, but during those difficult times, I gained more weight having no money and an empty refrigerator. Figure that one out. But the bottom line is, apparently, I never went without. Don't worry about it, he says. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you drink. And then he says, do not worry about your body or the clothes that you put on it. I mean, how? What? why is it that we worry about these things? I found out since losing weight, my favorite pair of jeans on the, on the, under the sun are $10 rustlers at Walmart. Man, I don't worry about nothing. Go get the cheapest pair of jeans and walk out. What? But we worry about that stuff, don't we? We worry about what we're going to wear and what it's going to say to others and how they might perceive us and what they're going to think about us by what brands that we wear and what shoes that we put on and this and that. And we worry about it rather than being about the business that God has for us to be about. So he says this question, is not life more, about more than that? You say, okay, Pastor, we're, we got that one. We're over that. We don't worry about life. We don't worry about clothes. We don't worry about eat. We're over it. Mm-hmm. What is it that you do worry about, though? He gives us a couple examples. But what is it that you worry about? In fact, he says, is not life about more than all that? So I thought maybe under the second bullet point, I'd give you the healthy benefits of worry. So here are the benefits of a healthy worrying. So, number one, height. Wait a minute. He says right here, this is, um, hmm, verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? 
I mean, that's got to be a healthy benefit of worry, right? I mean, if I worry, just, I mean, I, mean, I really want to be six foot six. I get, I, if I just, mm, it's going to happen. I'm just going to worry about it. It's going to make me grow an inch, right? No. So that's a, not a healthy benefit of worry. Uh, maybe about looking good in, in those duds. I mean, you get the nicest clothes, the nicest shoes, the nicest shirt, the nicest brand, the most expensive this, the most expensive. That's going to make everything better. No. That's not going to cut it either. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Why? They just grow. God's hand is on them. They just grow. I mean, nobody's out there watering them. Nobody's out there plucking all the weeds around them. Nobody's out there cultivating them. They just grow. Hmm. Doesn't that teach us something, that God's in control of all these things? Doesn't that just scream that? Consider the grass of the field. God makes that happen. Hmm. So it comes down to verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Hmm. So I think there's a principle that runs through this passage. And the principle is, stop worrying. Stop trying to control everything. How many know a control freak? I know a few. How many are one? You just want to admit it. <laughs> he, says, he says, stop worrying. Stop worrying. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to help you be better clothed. It's not going to help you grow any. Stop. Don't worry. We're not going to park here too long, but I want you to think about this. Verse 30 says this. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, only you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these all these things. So, will God not much more clothe you? He asks this question, or he makes this statement. Oh, ye of little faith. Let me ask you a question. How's your faith? You say, is this going to play into this big picture of running on empty? Absolutely it will. We'll tie it all together in just a moment. But how's your faith? How's your faith? Not how's your grandparents' faith. Not how is your mother's faith. How's your faith? When's the last time you've exercised your faith? When's the last time that you said, God, I'm trusting you. I don't know how this is going to all work out. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know where I should go, what I should be doing right now. I just feel like I'm lost, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. You know what those circumstances are. You and God know exactly what they are. I have no clue, but you do. And you know whether or not you're trying to do it in your own strength, worrying about everything or whether or not you're trusting in God to do it for you because you can't. You know that. And he says, stop worrying. And he says, consider the Gentiles, verse 32. He says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. Is he saying this in a favorable light? Yes or no? No. He says, they're worried about their clothes. They're worried about their, what they're going to eat and drink. They're worried about this. They're worried about that little faith that you have. That's what the Gentiles do. You're better than that. You have me. 
God says. Food, drink, clothes, here's the point. Seek first. And he says this, verse 33, and this is the part I don't want you to gloss over as being familiar. But seek first. Say that with me. Seek first. One more time. Seek first. He doesn't just say throw it in the mix of the day. He doesn't just say, you know, at some point in your life you should probably come to, you know, trust me a little bit better. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know what I think the problem is? We're seeking too many other things ahead of what we're doing with Christ. Let's just say it like it is. We're seeking financial gain. We're seeking position. We're seeking stuff. We're seeking a better life. We're seeking more for our kids and more for our families and a better this and a better that. Is there anything wrong with those things? No. It's wrong when those things take precedent over what God says. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, we're more concerned oftentimes with what so-and-so thinks about us than we are with what God thinks of us. When's the last time we spent time reading? I know I've been harping on this lately because it's all part of renewing your strength. It's all part of getting beyond running on empty. It's all part of just taking a moment to analyze what's going on in our life and saying, I need to draw closer to Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to do that, don't be surprised that you're not getting refreshed. Because you can't have complete refreshment and not walking with God at the same time. He says, seek first. In fact, all the things that are in this world, you've heard me say it a thousand times, another very familiar passage, 1 John chapter 2. If I can get there with the band-aid. There we go. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. It really says that my priorities aren't right. It really says that my mind is not on God where it needs to be. And verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. There's a list right there. The things that we want, the things that we are trying to get, the things that, are, that we're seeking after. Say, so, well, that's not me. I don't have gods. I don't have idols. Anything that takes precedence over our relationship with God has a potential of, I'm not saying it is, but it has the potential of being an idol in our life. So he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And verse 17 is a clincher. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So you may disagree with me a bit today, but many of us need to consider what Matthew 6.32 says. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows what we have need of. You know what happens in our life? I talked about this a little bit the other day. But I think so much of the pressure that we face is put on by ourselves because we have a standard that we want to hold to. We have things that we want to be in our lives. 
And all these things have a value and a cost associated with them. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves the questions, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth not having time with my family? Is it worth it to work all these extra hours just so I can have a nicer this or a better that or one of those? Is it worth it? Because at some point, life gets complicated. We talk about our kids sometimes growing up. And when they take that step of growing up, and all of a sudden they got the car payment, not mom and dad. All of a sudden now they got the car insurance, not mom and dad. And all of a sudden they got the car repair bill, not mom and dad. And all of a sudden they got the cell phone, you know, all that stuff. He goes, man, growing up is hard. Yeah. But that's where we got to sit down and say, okay, what are the things that we need versus the things that we want? Because if we want everything, it's going to cost you. And I'm not just talking about money. It's time. It's energy. It's effort. And you know why a lot of people don't have time for God? Because they're too busy giving time to everything else but God. That's the truth. We don't have time to give to workday or church or to talking about Jesus Christ because we have a schedule to keep. Because we have a life that we're trying to maintain. We have bills to pay. We've got deadlines. We've got expectations. And we've got to please everybody. It gets back to this simple point. Seek first. God says, if you'll put me first, if you'll seek me first and be trying to become the person that I want you to be, everything else will fall into place. It will fall into place. But if we're trying to get the things first before we have the relationship with God right, it's not going to work. So in Matthew 6.32, he says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. So my first question is this, what are we seeking after? What is it that we're really seeking after? I wish I, I, I maybe some of you saw this, and I put a post on Facebook to a friend of mine. I said, I wish I had the maturity in my 20s to grasp what my friend was saying. He was an old-time preacher, traveled all across Europe and Germany and did revivals and crusades all across Germany. And then he had a stroke, and he is pretty much bound after that. And I thought to myself, why is it that it takes us so long to get what God's trying to show us way back in the beginning? Maybe you don't struggle with that. Maybe you, maybe you just got it, boom, you're done. But my head's a little thick sometimes. But I wish I could go back and learn some things. I wish I could redo my four years of Bible college sometimes. I wish I would have gone to class every day and said, Lord, help me because I'm going to be needing this stuff someday. I was just trying to survive, let alone thrive, right? I mean, you just want to get through it. But it seems like the older we get, the more we begin to grasp what we should have grasped years earlier. What are we seeking? Because here's what I found out in life. I don't know too many 70-year-olds that are worried about what kind of car they drive. True. As long as it runs, who cares? I don't know too many 70, 80-year-olds that worry about what kind of house they live in. I mean, whether it's you know the prestigious neighborhood or just a house to live in. I don't know too many. I mean, I know they're out there. You know what we find? The older we get, 
for the most part, the less we care about stuff. And all of a sudden, the relationships become more important. But the most important relationship ought to be the one with Jesus Christ. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. What is it that we're seeking? He says, oh, you have little faith. Where's your faith? Is it what you can do and what you can produce? Or is it what God has done and what God is able to do? Could that be the very reason you run yourself ragged trying to do everything, trying to make sure everything is perfect, trying to get all your ducks in a row? You've probably heard the saying, worry less, pray more. How true is that? I want to close with just four or five passages, and that might take a few minutes, so don't let the word close. Philippians chapter 4, if you would. Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7. It says, Be anxious for the things that are really important, but in everything... No, wait a minute. I read that wrong. Sorry. Um, be anxious for... Anxious for nothing. I mean, I mean, certainly God understands that there are those key button things that we He understands. He gets it. He says it's okay. I mean, you don't have to worry about most things, but this one's it's acceptable. Go ahead, worry yourself crazy. Go for it. He says, be anxious for nothing. But He gives us the answer here. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, we know what prayer is. What is supplication? Bringing our request to God. Letting him handle them. So he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of thick-skulled, as I've said many times. I mean, it's, it's true. But here's the thing I thought as a kid growing up. Uh, it's okay to pray for everyone else's stuff. I'm just not going to pray for my stuff, because that's selfish. I mean, who, how, how, how vain is that? It's okay to pray for everyone else, but I'm not praying for myself. And so for years, I'd pray for everyone else's struggles, everyone else's needs, everyone else's problems. I mean, only a selfish nut would pray for his own stuff. I mean, how greedy is that? Then it's as though God began to teach me. He's like, no, wait a minute. I want to hear your request too. That was transforming in my life. To be able to sit down and pray and say, Lord... This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm struggling with. Duh, he already knew it anyway. But he wanted to have that conversation with me. So he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, when you give everything to me, every request, every supplication, if you'll just pray with me, I'll give you the peace that you need. I don't know about you, but I think the world is searching for peace. There's a lot of things that kind of try to rob us of our peace, right? He says, you want peace? Give it all to me. Give it to me. Then here's another one in Jeremiah chapter 45. Isaiah, Jeremiah, chapter 45. Right in the middle, toward the end of this book here, he says this. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Barak, 
the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, man, that is a mouthful. I'm glad we don't write like that anymore. Here's what he says. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, Barak, you said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. <laughs> and he's blaming, Lord, this is your fault. Is what it is. He says, I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. And then he says this. Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold what I have built, I will break down. And what I have planted, I will pluck up. That is this whole land. Then he throws this thing out there. And do you seek great things for yourself? Say it with me. Seek, do not seek them. Wait a minute. I mean, come on now, really? Is there really anything bad with this? If it's your focus, yes. If that's what you're living for, yes. If that's what motivates you, yes. If this is what makes you tick every day, yes. He says, and do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. But I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. He says, you've got to choose. In all the busyness... You're worrying about life. What in our business needs to be changed? What about our focus needs to possibly be be redirected so that God can work in and through it? You see, I think every one of us in this auditorium this morning can, can honestly look at our lives and say, this is what's really bugging me. And you can list them out. It's this, it's this, it's this, it's that. We know what it is. But we also look at it and say, well, I'm not sure anything's going to get any different. I don't know that it can change. But rather than truly laying it at the feet of Jesus, we try to fix it because we are fixers. That's what we do. We see what we can do to fix the struggle that we're facing. We're good at it, at the trying part. And he's saying, wait a minute. Trying to make your life better? Stop. Give it to me. I'll take care of your life. What about our focus needs to be possibly redirected? Here's the question. Am I willing to let God redirect? Am I willing to let him redirect? Ephesians chapter 5, if you would turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 15. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So four things underneath this. First of all, he says, Are we walking circumspectly? Are we walking circumspectly? What What does that even mean? It means carefully. Being careful about how you walk. Uh, or, or we got some more of them self-imposed 
tasks in our to-do list that are, that's robbing us of our joy, that's making life difficult? Are we walking circumspectly or carefully without self-imposed pressure leading to weariness? Number two, are we making the best use of our time, understanding that the day in which we are living? It says redeeming the time. Are we redeeming the time that God gives us? I don't know about you, but I'm captivated by certain things because some of my boyhood stuff hasn't like grown into manhood yet. Um, just for example, I like I like a good treasure hunt. I mean, I just there's just something about a tra- the curse of Oak Island. I'm promising you, they're never going to find the mother load, but it's going to go on for ten seasons, and I'm going to watch it because I'm hoping they find it. No, I don't know if I'll watch it all, but isn't there a little bit of a treasure-seeking adventure in your mind? I don't know about you, but I could watch. If they have like an all-day marathon, which I don't know if they've done that yet, I, I could see myself watching that, even though I've already seen it. Don't laugh, Janet, wherever you are. You watch them finding Bigfoot. What is it that wastes your time? That causes you not to redeem the time. What's your vice that kills time that could be given to God and to his service? And then he says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will for your life? Those of you that have some time, just... Do a simple study on will of God. You'll find about 12 verses pass up, uh, show up in your, in your study, in your search. There's about 12 phrases where it actually says, for this is the will of God. What is God's will for your life? We know what most of it is. Every day living for him. Every day dying to self. Every day putting him first rather than ourselves first. The list could go on over and over again. And then... The fourth point underneath that passage. Are we living as though we are filled with the Spirit? Because that's the last thing he says in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, if we were filled with the Spirit, we'd be walking in the will of God, responding in obedience, and doing what He wants us to do rather than what we want to do, alleviating a lot of stress and pressures in our life. He gets back to, are you being filled with the Spirit? Or you living in the flesh? Because really it is a daily choice, Romans 8. What is it that we're really living for? Two more passages and we're through. Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you would turn there. Way back in the beginning, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Referring to the uh, children of Israel. And some of your Bibles may have this phrase above Chapter 4, where it starts, Moses commands obedience. You see, you can command something all day long, but one thing I've realized over the years is that I have no control over someone's heart attitude. I can force my kids to do something, maybe because I'm bigger than them, maybe because I'm stronger than they are, but I can't control their heart. And you can't either. That's something God has to do. So Moses is commanding obedience. And here's what he says right away in verse 1. He says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe, 
that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. Is what he's saying good? Yeah. He says, if you will do this, there is a blessing for doing it. And if you'll do this, you'll be, God, will, God will work in your life and, and he'll do something great in your life and you just have to observe what I'm telling you here. So you should not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eye, eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, and for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you the men that followed Baal Peor, but you who held fast to the Lord God are alive today, every one of you. He says, when you walk in obedience, when you do what's right, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. You know what that tells us? God requires obedience. And if we will obey, he'll take care of the rest. But when we're trying to control the outcome, man, that's hard work. Man, that's hard Verse 5 says, Surely I have taught you the statute and judgment, just as the Lord God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. So he says, Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear these statutes, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. He's saying, Listen, if you do this, it's to your benefit to do this. But did they do it? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Over and over, they did what they wanted to do. It's a powerful reminder of who God is and what he has done for us. If we're not careful, we can get so caught up in what we think is important, what we think we have to do, that we miss what God is trying to do in our lives. We can be easily distracted by the things of this world. Look at verse 29. I won't take the time to go through all of chapter 4, but verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 30, when you are in distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, he says, I'll listen. I'll be here for you. Here's where I think it ties into our series, Running on Empty. Over and over, we see throughout Scripture people who did things in their own strength, their own might, their own wisdom, their own understanding. And what was the result of it? More struggle, more anxiousness, more distance from God, more this, more that, rather than coming closer to Him and experiencing his blessing on their life. We have to come back to this question, for who and what are we living? We have to come back to this question, for who and what are we living? Because if we're living for ourselves, not going to work. If we're living for the things of this world, not going to work. It's only when we surrender our lives to God and follow in obedience that he bestows his blessing upon us. That's it. That's it. One last verse. Psalm 37. Psalm chapter 37. 
In verse 25, he says this. He says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. What does that teach us? God is faithful. He's faithful. And when we do what he asks us to do, he'll take care of us. When we put our faith and trust in him, he'll provide. And when we walk according to his will, we don't have to do what we want to do in anxiousness and worry and compounding all the things on the to-do list to get done. It's all about what we are willing to surrender to him and watching him work. I don't know about you, but it gets tiring trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. No, but your Joneses might be your own to-do list, your own goals, your own idea of what you want to accomplish in this life. Maybe that's your Jones that you're keeping up with. But it may not be God's. I'm simply saying this. Most of what gets us distracted, most of what causes us to be exhausted mentally, physically, spiritually, most of what gets us down are from things that we have imposed upon ourselves. And the only way to get rid of those pressures is to come to the place where you say, God, help me reprioritize the things that are in my life. Help me get rid of what I don't need or shouldn't have in order, so, in order for me to walk in your will. That's it. And the other thing that's equally important and more important is your time with God. That's what we've been talking about these last four weeks. Come to me, all you that are lab- their labor and are heavy laden. What's he saying? He goes, I want to spend time with you. Isaiah 40. Waiting on God. He's saying, I want to spend time with you. Isaiah 26. I'll keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on him. It means I have to dwell in his presence. And then he says in Matthew 6, seek me first. What's he saying? I want to spend time with you. Over and over, the story of God and man is that he wants to spend time with his people. And if we're too busy to spend time with God, you're too busy. If you're too busy to spend time with God, you're too busy. Something has to give. Or something will break. Let's pray.